0: Thank you for joining me, Pete Holterman, for the Credentials Only podcast where you are introduced to people who work in sports. Today's guest has an incredibly unique role in one of my favorite competitions to follow each year. Dr. Jacques Bailey serves as the pronouncer for the annual Scripps National Spelling Bee. That role includes not only delivering the words to spellers, but also providing supplemental information such as definitions and language of origin. A former bee champion himself, Dr. Bailey knows there is an intangible he brings to the event.
1: I like to think that I try to put them at ease just with eye contact and a smile and a hello um, so that they can, you know, enjoy themselves a little bit up there.
0: Like so many viewers at home, Dr. Bailey marvels at the skill that is on display during the beat.
1: It just becomes like, oh my, how can they possibly know how to spell all these words? Because at that point, we're asking them to spell words that most people who are really learned have never heard of. It's really just you know jaw-dropping amazing. Dr. Bailey also revels in the camaraderie that the spellers enjoyed
0: during the event.
1: All the spellers want each other to spell correctly. As always, there are show
0: notes posted on credentialsonly.com with more information on what we discuss in this episode, which will be worth checking out today to see just how some of the words Dr. Bailey brought up are spelled. Without further ado, Please enjoy this conversation with the Scripps National Spelling Bee pronouncer, Dr. Jacques Bailey, on Credentials
1: Only. Are you ready?
0: Let's go. Dr. Bailey, thank you so much for joining me. I want to start by going back to 1980. Do you remember what word you won the 1980 Spelling Bee on?
1: Of course. It was uh, burned into my brain. It was elucubrate, E-L-U-C-U-B-R-A-T-E
0: and what in the world does a lucubrate mean?
1: Well, it's a funny word. It means the same thing as lucubrate. So there's elucubrate and lucubrate, and they both mean to burn the midnight oil, to, to study late into the night, to, to really work hard.
0: How would you describe the experience of competing in the bee?
1: Oh, gosh. Back then, it was, um, it was grueling. To, if you stayed in the bee for, until the end, you were on a stage for two days with very, very bright, very hot t v lights with uh you know just everybody paying attention to you and and it got to be really kind of exhausting um but it's it's also really fun and and energizing because you know you're just like what'll be, what'll my next word be?" and then you're listening to all the speller's spell and you're thinking, "Oh, can I spell that oh man, but I didn't get that one." Um, <laughs> And then, you know, oh, oh, they've got it, they asked the right question or something. So it, it's, you know, just as sitting there watching the bee is entertaining for people who aren't in it, it's also really kind of entertaining for the people who are in it.
0: And when you got down to the final two, you're, the last person you were up against misspelled a word, right? And then you had the opportunity to correct it. What was that word?
1: So that's a funny story because if you remember 1980, Most people didn't have PCs. Computers were just something that was hitting, you know, the mass market for the rest of us. Uh, And the word was glitch. (laughs) And and the the runner up who is now actually the director of the spelling bee missed it because she asked, you know, what language is it from? And they said German. And she thought, oh, German spell that itch sound with I-T-S-C-H. And this is a word I've never heard before. And this is the finals of the spelling bee, so it must be some trick. So she tried the German G-L-I-T-S-C-H. And honestly, I have always been somebody who thinks, you know, keep it simple. And so I just tried the one that's just like itch, G-L-I-T-C-H, and uh, that worked.
0: Do you remember much about the pronouncer from when you were competing?
1: Not really. Um, no, I don't. I remember the, the pronouncer after him, uh, Dr. Cameron, Alex Cameron, because I worked with him a lot. I was his uh, associate pronouncer for about 12 years.
0: And how did you get back into the bee to be the associate and then become the pronouncer yourself?
1: Uh, so in 1991, 11 years after I won the spelling bee, I wrote to them and I said, you know, 11 years ago, I won the spelling bee. I don't know if you remember me, but I have been active in the spelling world. I've been coaching people. I've been thinking about spelling bees. I've been you know, pronouncing some, I've been judging some. And if you need a volunteer for anything at all, I will do it. Um, and oh, by the way, I've also learned a lot of Greek and Latin and a bit of Arabic and some Chinese and some German and a bunch more French. So I think I'm well-suited to work with words in the spelling bee.
0: So then, how would you describe your role at the Spelling
1: Bee? You mean today or back then? Today. Today. Ah. So, (laughs) I I am supposed to be very uh, consistent and uh, reliable and error-free. And I don't think I'm really supposed to draw any attention to myself. I'm supposed to deliver the information that the spellers want uh, carefully and precisely. So that's, that's really my job. And the fact is that every once in a while, I'll make a mistake. I, I'm very proud I don't make many, but when I do, instantaneously, there are people who are on it and they don't say anything that you would ever notice. The, the man beside me, Dr. Sitsima, he will just move a finger and I'll, oh, he moved a finger. What, what did I, what, what should I look for? And oh, there's a pronunciation. <laughs> or uh, we have a chat function and, and Kevin will tell me, you know, definition. And I'll make sure to offer the definition or Paige or Corey or anybody on the staff can tell me. Um, so it's, it's all sort of behind the scenes. But uh, I have an incredible support staff there who keeps me uh, on my toes and I just can't make a mistake honestly. It's very, very difficult.
0: A a number of those people you reference are probably next to you at that table, because there's a pretty long table opposite the stage. Who all sits at that table, and what are their various roles?
1: Okay, so beside me on the right are three judges, and their role is to make sure that the speller spells it right, and if they spell it wrong, to record that and to register that. And that's actually a, a very sort of I would not like that job. Um, it's, it's a hard job because it, you have to pay constant focused attention uh, and then there'll be a fire and you have to immediately, you know, be on it. Um, so that's their job. And then on my left, Dr. Sitsum is the associate pronouncer and he, his main role is to constantly fact check everything I say and then beside him, I don't know the order exactly, but there, there are a couple of people on records who are supposed to record everything that's said, particularly any spelling given, right or wrong, they record that. Um, there's somebody who is in charge of, if anybody has a question about something that just happened, um, that that person is on, on the records desk, they will immediately ask for a playback into their um, earphones and they'll be able to hear what happened and to say, oh no, the speller did pronounce it or, um, yeah, there was something there. Um, and so, so that person, that's their sole job. And as you kind of go down the line, there are a couple of people who are in charge of, um, computers, because we are now completely computerized on the other side of the judges. There are, they are actually a couple of comedy writers. Um, and they, uh, during the live nationals, they will feed me, uh, sentences and they are, I don't, I don't think their identity is secret, but they aren't. We don't really publish it much. Um, they don't. They're they're the unsung heroes, um, and there is a filter, so they have to submit their questions to the director or the you know the assistant director, and they will say yes or no because, as you might imagine, there are a lot of things that are funny that we don't really want to present at this meeting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can see where that would be the case, so. Do you have a monitor that's kind of giving you this information? Are there a couple monitors? And what is the information you're seeing when you're up there and the B is happening?
1: Mostly I'm seeing one word at a time. I do not advance the words. Um, They are fed to me when the speller is up there and the people on the records agree this is the speller's word and everything is set. I'm fed a word. And I will see all the information that is, you know, the, the spelling of the word, the pronunciations, if there's more than one. Um, The part of speech, the language of origin, the definition, the use in a sentence and maybe a comedy sentence. I can look at the dictionary on that computer. There's a little tab I can open there. There's also a chat function where anybody who has access to that can communicate with me, which is extremely helpful for keeping things running smoothly so that questions get asked and answered constantly without having to stop or start.
0: You alluded to the questions that can get asked for uh, pronunciations, alternate definitions and whatnot. As a horrible speller myself, I sit there and watch in amazement. How much are these spellers memorizing words, and how much are they deconstructing it based on the language or the meaning?
1: So at the National Bee, the, the spellers who are there are generally doing both all the time. Even if they've seen the word, they want to make sure, is this really the word I've seen because I've been studying thousands of words, and I've got to make sure it's that one. So they will often ask for all the information, even though they're relatively confident, just to confirm. Every once in a while they have some doubt and they're looking to figure out, oh, is that a double letter or not? So they'll ask for the language of origin and maybe that'll tell them it's Latin. And then they'll figure out, oh, so my word is, let's just pick an easy word like, well, an easy word that everybody misspells, accommodate. And they'll say, oh, does that come from ad, meaning toward? And that'll be right there in the dictionary. And Dr. Seedsmo will say yes, and they'll say, "Does that come from com, meaning together?" Yes, uh, and then from that they know it's add accommodate, and they know that that d turned to a c, and so you get acc. And they can they can basically uh, sleuth their way through the linguistic history to confirm a lot of things, or uh, you know eliminate a lot of things. Um, and in the end, if they haven't the best way to know a word is to memorize it. But um, if they don't have it perfectly memorized, um, they can give their most intelligent guess that way.
0: Have you ever gotten an unusual request kind of outside those standard questions?
1: Oh yeah, they'll say, uh, okay, so this word has a homonym. What does the homonym mean? Or, you know, what are the other definitions of this word? Um, Can you define a word in the definition? Um, can you spell the word and, you know, <laughs> they often ask for the spelling of the word, they'll, they'll, usually they try and sort of slip that one in quickly and see if maybe I'll, maybe I'll do it. <laughs> uh, sometimes they just, you know, ask you know, friendly questions, like, how are you doing? Um, hey, have they ever asked for, uh,
0: you to sing a word or use it in a, in one of those comedy sentences just to give them a little bit of a relief from the tension?
1: Yeah, they they want me to dance it or sing it once in a while. Um, You know, you probably wouldn't want to see me sing or hear me sing or maybe see me dance. But um, the comedy sentences, they like those. And when we first started using comedy sentences, we were a little worried. We were thinking maybe this will just this won't really work. Um, But overall, I would say with very, very, very few exceptions, people really appreciate them because it kind of breaks the tension. And what spellers really want is some time to think. And if they can ask for the word used in a sentence, that'll buy them time to think, because the sentences don't really help them much. Um, And if the audience starts laughing, that'll buy them, they can just sort of check out for a second and think. And often spellers have a hard time just thinking quietly. So they like to be able to ask for another sentence or something like that. even if they aren't really paying attention to it. So I never resent them asking questions. They can ask them three or four times. They have a time limit. I'll, you know, I'll answer as long as they have time. Which is, how long that time limit? Oh goodness, I think it's like two minutes. Okay. It's plenty of time, but um, you know, some of them come right, right up against the limit.
0: You mentioned the crowd might laugh or something, and, and I think um, there, there's a giggle factor that I think I saw you reference yeah. in an interview. Explain what you mean by the giggle factor.
1: Well, there's different kinds of giggle factor. So, there was... Uh, uh, so, we had a word numna, and the speller got the word and thought it was pronounced a different way and said something that was rather interesting. And um, and I immediately had to say, uh, no, no, it's numna, <laughs> and bring him back to how to pronounce the word. Um, so, there's that giggle factor. Another giggle factor is... Um, you know, there are certain words that you probably wouldn't want, uh, you know, grade school kids pronouncing too clearly in a sort of isolated way, because it just brings the wrong things to mind. Um, you know, the color fuchsia is a good one. You just don't want to spell that out loud too, too, too much. Um, there's, there's other things that, you know, like that, that you kind of want to avoid. Um, but a lot of the giggle factor is just kind of innocent fun stuff like, uh, this guy, Kenyi Awad, a very accomplished young man, he he got this word, uh, sardoodledom. It's a fantastic word. It means sort of uh, melodramatic playwriting that isn't really very good. And it's named after this play, French playwright, Sardou. Um, but it's a funny word. And he got the word and he, he just started giggling. He just couldn't stop giggling. And, and, you know, eventually he got in control and spelled the word. Um, so every once in a while, there's, there's some real, fun levity. And I like to think that I try to put them at ease just with eye contact and a smile and a hello um, so that they can, you know, enjoy themselves a little bit up there.
0: (laughs) Are you picking out these words in advance? You say it appears on the screen in front of you during the bee, but are you involved with the process of creating this list of possible words in advance of the B?
1: There is a very large process. And it's kind of a sort of secret sauce situation but there's a team of people who pick the words i'm not on it Um, and then the words get kind of put through their paces in that we choose a definition because a lot of words have more than one definition we craft a sentence for it we choose the part of speech we we um get the language of origin and then we have to make sure that we've done all that right so there's a lot of sort of double checking and triple checking And then there's a whole sort of uh, difficult process of trying to figure out how difficult these words are and how to try and make the words that are next to each other of relatively the same difficulty, which is, of course, an impossible task because, you know, if if you play the violin, well, then sforzando is easy for you. If, you know, you come from Florida, well, then this, this bird or this fish that's in the keys might be something that you're just familiar with. Um, Whereas if you're a, you know, a boy from Montana who's never played a musical instrument, you're just, this is a foreign word to you. So difficulty is very hard. And then we spend a lot of time on that. um, And it's, it's, it's very difficult. Um, Yeah. And then there are many, many lists that we create. It's not just the national lists. There are lists for regional bees. There are are lists for study guides. And we have to sort of coordinate those lists because we don't want too much repetition between them.
0: So you're involved in some of that process, maybe not selecting the words, but coming up with the definitions and everything, it sounds like.
1: I am involved in a lot of reviewing and checking and making sure that things are right. Uh, and they will they take anybody who's on staff for the difficulty level because, I mean, you could do it. You could just go through and say, well, I would have our time with this word, and that makes the word difficult. Um, so it's not really any special like specific to spelling skill of that. So, there's a lot of people who work on that. Um, And a lot of people always ask me, you know, how how much do you have to practice these words? I don't practice at all per se, but we have meetings and I read the words aloud a a lot at the meetings. And then at, at home I have, you know, we call it word review and I go through thousands of words and sentences and definitions. And part of that is checking the pronunciations.
0: Do you ever have a word come up where you go, oh, not this word.
1: <laughs> yeah, so there's some sounds that are very hard to make clear and distinct, largely because I think they're not really English. Um, so English has, you know, what's uh, 50 or so phonemes, but there are some uh, words that entered the English language and became English without really abandoning their foreign flavor. Like for some reason, savoir-faire has remained savoir-faire. And why it isn't savor-faire, I don't know. But some of these words from Yiddish come in with a ch sound uh, or like Scottish, like loch, that, that ch, that chishka, or, or there's various words that have that. And that's a little hard to get right if you don't say it regularly. Um, there are some other words that have a vowel sound that is quite difficult, the French or German, like um, German kunin. Uh, that that O umlaut or the U umlaut or a fondue. And, and no French person would ever think I said fondue, right? They'll always say no um, because I'm not French. Well, I am French, but I, I didn't grow up speaking it natively. So there are those sounds that honestly aren't so genuinely English. Another thing is the schwa. So the schwa is this uh sound that any vowel can be a schwa. And even sometimes there's no vowel there at all and There's a schwa, like bubble, the o, before the o, there, there's a uh. Um, sometimes, see, generally the schwa is produced because the syllable isn't stressed. And that's why you get a schwa. Once in a while, there's a stressed schwa, and that's kind of weird. Like connoisseur. Uh, that's one pronunciation of it is a stressed schwa there, and that's a little weird. A lot of... Uh, yeah. Sanskrit-derived words have stressed schwas, too, because in Sanskrit, everything went to A. That's just the, the schwa in Sanskrit. So those are some of the challenging ones. Do you have any
0: that you
1: favor, that you enjoy, you're happy when you see it comes up? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of old friends. I've, you know, done thousands of words now, and some of them are just really fun. Um, uh, but not really, no. <laughs>
0: you talked about part of what you're doing in the lead up of reviewing words and everything, and then also being involved in some of the other regional bees and everything. So is this involvement a year round process for you?
1: It's pretty much year round, but there are there are definitely t- times when I don't have anything to do for the spelling bee. Cause I do have a day job at the university of Vermont. I teach Latin and Greek and, and ancient philosophy and such. Um, uh, but, I do things during the summer. I have recording sessions. I have review sessions in the fall. We have meetings And the, you know, before the spelling bee and the, in the spring we have meetings. Um, so it, it, it is year round, but it's uh, definitely part-time.
0: What is the week of the bee like? How early do you get to Washington? And then it, I get the sense that it's a little bit of a festival around it. It's not just that competition hall the entire time. Is that accurate?
1: That's right. It's a wonderful week Um, for me. I start out usually on Friday and I get there for two days of meetings that are about words with the with the word panelists and and all the word team. And we go through every single word we're going to give and, you know, try to think about just double check everything one last time. So that's that's a it's actually a fairly uh, wonderful weekend because I really like all those people, but it's also a long weekend. then on Monday, generally, there's uh, the spellers are there, and I go to, there used to be a barbecue, now there's sort of a, a game thing. And generally, they all want my autographs, so I sign hundreds of autographs that day and, and get to see them all, because one thing I do is I record words, and then they, when they're in their living rooms, they hear my voice all the time when they're studying. So they feel like, you know, they have some connection to me. Um, and it's really neat because they, they, you know, they'll come up to me at the spelling bee and say, I'm so glad to finally meet you. You know, you've been, you've been in my life for so long. And that's really, that's really amazing. It's really fun to think that all these kids who are so inspiring uh, want to meet me. Um, and so, I signed autographs for three hours straight sometimes there. Um, and then on Tuesday, I guess, usually there's, there's some written tests and there's some oral spelling. Uh, and on Wednesday, there's more spelling, and then Thursday is the finals of the B at night and the semifinals during the afternoon. Uh, the, the the B has kind of grown to take over more of the week than it used to, um, but that's largely, it's not all because we have more competitors, which we do, it's also because we've made it sort of easier on the competitors in that they come in shifts so that they don't have to be there all the time if it's not their shift, if it's not their, you know, they can go and see DC or something during round two um, and then come for their part of round two. So that, that's made it really, I think, nicer for the competitors, but it's, it's a pretty hard week for us, for all the officials. And then Friday Friday there's a wonderful banquet that nobody, but the spellers see, see usually it's, it's uh, really kind of a, wonderful fun uh event you mentioned long day for you
0: and the people administering the competition how long is it a eight hour day can it get to 10 12 hours for you
1: i think wednesday is the longest day that's like uh probably a 12 hour day all told you know you have to be down there and ready to go early enough so that nobody gets worried about you And then there's also, you know, I don't get to have lunch because there's a media avail then. And so I have to grab a sandwich and they, they have an, they have interviews. Um, And in order to let the spellers have these shifts, you have to have us up there the whole time. Um, But one thing that was innovated last year, which I thought was really good was that they have, they had Dr. Sietzema do some pronouncing and they had Kevin Mach do some uh, associate pronouncing. sitting in the associate pronouncer's chair. Basically, there's a, everybody has an official backup and we can step out if we need to. And that uh, takes some of the pressure off. And it's also a really good idea in that um, pronouncing is a lot of fun and I will do it as long as I can. But um, there are a lot of people who are perfectly capable of it. And I think that Dr. Sitsimo was very pleasantly surprised by how much fun he had.
0: As a viewer, There's tension in my living room as I'm sitting there on the couch watching these spellers try to get the word correct. What is the atmosphere like in the room?
1: Oh, it's definitely tense. Um, you know, there's, I bet if like, uh, if you could really send your thoughts through the air and you could catch people's like a radio, you would catch everybody trying to send the speller the right spelling or what they think is the right spelling. (laughs) Um, it's, it's, definitely a situation where all the spellers want each other to spell correctly. We're all trying to think, okay, what, what question should we answer that we haven't, you know, what, you know, what can we do here to make sure that this speller has the best chance possible at spelling this word correctly? Um, Yeah. and It's tense, but people think that there's so much pressure on these kids. You wouldn't believe the joy when they hear that they're gonna to get to be on TV. People think that's pressure, but no, that is a reward for them. They're they are practically uh, jumping up and down. Actually, some of them are because they're gonna be on TV. Just being up there on the stage is exciting for them. It really pumps them up. It's, it's, yes, there's pressure, but I, I've never really felt like it's, it's, um, it's a problem. It's, it's a good kind of pressure. So it's to show off.
0: How does that atmosphere change then when you get down to that semifinal and to those final rounds?
1: Does it feel oh, different? In it, the room? it just becomes like, oh, my, how can they possibly know how to spell all these words? Because at that point, we're asking them to spell words that most people who are really learned have never heard of. And that's because they're just that good. I mean, we had Octachamps, and it wasn't an accident. They were good. <laughs> Uh, And it's, it's really just, you know, jaw dropping amazing. I really am so impressed by these spellers. And I think everybody is feels that way about them. And it's, it's inspiring that their families and their parents are always, always supportive to them. Um, uh, That's, that's really nice to see.
0: In what ways, having competed yourself in the B, how has that influenced what you do now as the pronouncer?
1: Well, it certainly makes me have an awful lot of patience and um, just be willing to, you know, do whatever it takes to make sure that this speller uh, gets what they ask for when they're up there and gets a fair shake um, and gets treated, you know, well. And, and also, I think that just by... Being somebody who has been up there, um, I think that they, they they sort of realize that there's somebody there who, who knows a little bit about what they're going through.
0: And I would guess part of it is what they've gone through to get there because you're working with spellers throughout the year. What is the process like for most kids who do wind up on that stage in Washington?
1: So there's a, there's a gamut. There are some kids who don't study at all. They just go, they take their school B and they see how far they go. And then there are the kids who think I'm going to really try for this and they will study for, you know, three, four hours a day for months. And they will just devote their whole life to spelling. And I say their whole life. Usually they're playing sports and they're, you know, they're, they're uber achievers in, in, in uh, academics. So yeah, they'll devote as much of their life as they can because they're. I mean, if you read their bios, they're. It's far from in a situation where they don't go to school and they just do spelling. Nobody does that. They are all playing basketball and violin and dance and whatever. Um, but they they work really hard on spelling to the extent that they can, and some of them go you know up to three hours a day working on spelling. But what that involves is, you know, learning foreign languages and and scouring the world for different terminology for food and for music and for chemistry and, uh, it's basically learning about the world.
0: And you mentioned coaching, so what? It, it, that's really what it comes down to. It's just getting also the, the root origins of so many different words. Is that an easy way to summarize it?
1: Um. So, so there are coaches out there. There are some that will even take pay for it. Um. I don't think there's any need for that. I think basically what you should do is, uh, you know, get yourself access to a dictionary and get somebody to quiz you through the dictionary and start looking for the roots of words. You You think, okay so Hawaiian words, I'm having a hard time with Hawaiian words. Well, nowadays you can with about, you know, six type type six letters and you can get every Hawaiian word in English. and You can look at them and you can realize, oh, wait a second. Hawaiian is really a funny language. It has very few sounds, and all of them are spelled consistently. And it's no longer hard for me because, you know, well, that's just a long one. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of them, and they're all spelled nicely. Now, what about German? These German words, I have such a hard time with, you know, Sprachgefühl and Weltanschauung. It's the same situation. You can't have a spelling bee in German because every word is spelled the way it sounds in German. You just have to get your mind to think about German spelling. So to do that, you take your dictionary and you start playing with it. You start looking up all the German words and you see, well, what did English do to German? And that's where you get some turbulence because if you just take the German word the way it's spelled in German, that's one thing. But then if you anglicize it, it it kind of all bets are off because you aren't really sure how English are going, what they're going to do to it. Uh, I always find Afrikaans words are really hard because there's those double A's and double K's and J's that are stuck in there. Uh, you know, the, the Dutch-Germanic uh, language is is fairly difficult for us. Um, but you can put together a list of a, you know, it's it's uh, not that many hundred words. You can pick out the really weird ones, and really weird words are easy to remember because they're weird. You know. If you see somebody with three eyes, you're going to think, "Oh, I know that person. i have recognize them anywhere." You know, you 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 see this this crazy word that's got a silent cue, It's like, "Wow, that's a good one." Yeah, I'm going to remember that. It's the words that are kind of like other words, but aren't quite, you know, that 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 aren't so remarkable that'll trip you up. And that's where uh, knowing spelling patterns is is very helpful. So you need to kind of break down the language, and and I think you have to enjoy it. You have to just be playing with words because doing it for hours and hours, uh, just sort of doggedly. I just can't imagine anybody would bother.
0: <laughs> when those spellers do get to Washington, it, it must feel like a very cool scene to see them all come in. And for so many of them, it was such a goal they were working to get to. And you talked about how there are events leading up to it. But what, what do you see? on these children's faces when they come in there for that first time?
1: Oh, so, so the speller who's there for the first time is usually just walking around kind of with their jaw down, amazed, because it's this huge convention center. Well, it's not really convention center. It's a huge fancy hotel that's a convention center. And also, um, generally speaking, they're in a school where they're kind of academic, you know, academically on the top of things. And now it's sort of like going to college. When you arrive at, uh, you know, Cornell, you realize, well, hey, everybody here is kind of an A student. Uh, and you realize this is, this is my tribe. These are people I can relate to. These are people who think that weird words are cool and um, who think it's, it's kind of amazing that, you know, I know some Welsh words um, and who, who will thrill to the same things I will. And yet they're also, um, they're very much just like regular kids. I mean, if you put them near a ball pit, they'll start jumping into it and having a lot of fun. Um, and it, it's, you know, you think, oh, yeah, they're all nerds. But no, they, some of them are, some of them aren't. Most They're just all different varieties. Um, but mostly I think they're, they're just really glad to be there.
0: And you mentioned the attention you get in signing autographs and everything do you feel what is your reaction to kind of being the face of the
1: script spelling bee <laughs> It's pretty strange um, i it's It's one of the the great privileges of my life to to be that um, i I'm very sort of Proud, not in the sense that I feel like I've accomplished anything, but it's just a wonderful role to have and to be able to be in. Um, you know, people think that I have this skill uh, to pronounce words, but essentially I just read them out of the dictionary and I read just like you read. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really kind of wonder- wonderful and and humbling because you know all these kids are so incredibly accomplished at that age, and it's not that they're so accomplished as spellers it's that across the board you look at them and you realize that they are accomplished i mean they have they are they're really interesting kids um it's it's just really humbling it's neat
0: do you Keep up with any of them? Do you know what they're doing ten years on when they're in, you know, postgraduate work or whatever it is that they're doing?
1: A very, very few. Um, there are some who come back to the spelling bee and work for it a little bit, um, and those ones I know more about. But at this point, last year we had over five hundred spellers, and with five hundred, it's just too many. It's it's just too many. I I can't keep. There are some that I you know, but I feel strongly that I don't want to, I do like some of them a lot. They're just really neat. Um, but I don't want to ever be seen to be playing favorites or even to be more friendly with some than others. It's, it's kind of about appearance. Um, because I think that when you're, the first time you come to the spelling bee, you look around and you realize, oh my, some of these kids have been here four times and they know the officials and they really, I mean, what chance do I have? And I think it's really important that every kid who goes there, that they have the feeling like they are the one who should be there and the one who has a chance and the one who, you know, is, belongs there.
0: Outside of B-Week, you've had some other chances to get out a little bit, including appearing in the movie, Aquila and the Bee. What was that experience like for you?
1: That was a lot of fun. Um, So I got the script before uh, I think, I think before it was even really a a go as a movie. Um, And I said, this is great. You know, they got a lot of things right because they're really figuring out that spelling isn't about memorization. It's about figuring out language. And then uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne had me down to New York City to talk to me a little bit. Um, that was a strange experience, but he's a really nice guy. And well, it's strange because first I had to meet his handler. And then when they decided, OK, Dr. Bailey's kind of OK, then, you know, they called up and Lawrence came down and we had breakfast and um, he was kind of like. Uh, he looked at me at one point and he said, so you're talking about these characters as though they exist. You really think that this, this works? And I said, yeah, this is written like the spelling bee should be in the way it is for the kids who really do it right. Um, and I, I, I really appreciated that about the movie. And then when the shooting was also very interesting, I'd never really had anything to do with, uh, uh, you know, a set. So the first day there were a thousand extras, great big crowd scene. All the, you know, shots were wide shots, wide angles. And then the next day they did the exact same scenes, but with 250 people. And when they did this, they did like the medium range shots and they had the people move. So you, you'd see the same guy in the red sweater. And then the next day they did the close up shots and they had 125 people. And it was this little thin wedge that they placed behind so that it could look like an audience, but there was nobody on either side. <laughs> so it was three days of shooting the exact same scenes. And I, I just came to – it was really interesting to see how these things get put together, um, at least a little bit of it. Um, and the, the guy beside me who was the associate pronouncer, he, had, he didn't have a speaking role. All he had to do is sit there and look professional and serious. And he did his taxes while, while he was there. No way. <laughs> oh, yeah. He had all these papers. He was supposed to sit there with his papers, and he was sitting there doing his taxes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And and now you probably can't watch a movie the same way now that you know kind of their secret sauce of how it all gets put together, huh?
1: There is a little bit of that. Um, I, I'm i the sort of person who, you know, the music plays me. I dive into the movie and I, you know, it it really pulls me in and I, I very rarely can really see and analyze what it's doing with me.
0: Between that film and then there was Spellbound as well, how did those two movies impact the bee itself
1: oh i don't know um i can tell you that they were good for the bee in that they they presented the bee in a very favorable light that i thought was true to the bee spellbound was wonderful in that the they went out and they were not at all approved by the bee they went out on their own in a van and got a whole bunch of spellers. I think the B helped them get in contact with some spellers, but beyond that, nothing. Um, and it just showed how this is kind of a slice of America that each kid comes from a community and they represent their community, and it can be anybody. I mean, there there were um, the children of immigrants to you know the privileged kid with the nanny to, you know, the kid who lives on a ranch that's you know a thousand acres there was just such a nice variety of of people in that movie that it really reflected what the bee is. When you, when you go to the bee, you realize there's a whole bunch of different people in this country and, and they're all able and it's wonderful. It's a celebration of them. And then I think Akilah and the bee in particular was, was a very good message um, uh, about academics and about, you know, particular communities and how academics can really be good there and are and about the bee and and how, you know, it's, as long as you have a dictionary, anybody can do it. Um,
0: Now having, you know, primetime coverage, ESPN coming in doing it, what do you hope that the audience at home takes away from watching the spelling bee?
1: Um, Well, it's great entertainment. It's a lot of fun to watch. And I hope that they sit there and try and spell the words and try and learn the words and enjoy that. Uh, I suppose, you know, that's, that's basically it. Also, I, I think, um, I hope that in the audience, the kids who are in the audience will think I could do that. That's what I kind of hope. Like I can enter the B know, I can, I can try for that.
0: And then the spellers who are there, what do you hope they take away from that experience?
1: Oh, goodness. So I think that the actual D itself is just icing on the cake and not really the main event. Um, I, when they show up to Washington, they've won everything that really matters because what they've done is they've learned so much. And they've got that. That's locked in. They won't lose it. Um, the person who wins the B half the time, I can't remember who won the B last year. Um, and I hope that they will have thousands of doors open for them when they realize, oh my God, there's something called a Thoshik. What is that? Oh, it's the Irish prime minister. Oh, goodness. Cool. I can forget how to pronounce it. Um, or some chemistry word. And then when they get to high school and they're learning about new things, they will have an in. They will think, oh, this is familiar. Yeah, I I know that word, I know this. Um, And it'll be just an unfolding and and I, I call spelling a gateway skill. It is how you enter into all these worlds that all have to be communicated with words. You learn that the word exists first. You learn a little bit about it. No, you don't have to know how to play music to know musical terms. But you're entering these worlds, you're looking, at, you're looking indoors. And so I hope they'll have doors opened. I think that's also why, it, frankly, eighth grade is a great place to cut off. Because when you get into high school, you start studying subjects that people win Nobel Prizes for. Uh, before that, you're learning basic skills, gateway skills, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, and spelling is one of those. You mentioned
0: your day job at the University of Vermont earlier. Do you get any notoriety there? A student comes in on the first day like, oh my gosh, not necessarily knowing or maybe taking the class because they know you from the i
1: I've had a few kids take the class because they know me from the B. Um, just a very few. Mostly, the students will discover halfway through the semester that, hey, Professor Bailey has a Wikipedia page. Have you checked it out? And and then they'll start to realize, oh, wow, he has this whole other thing that he does. That's so cool. And mostly they just think it's really cool. I think that I have a Wikipedia page really is very interesting to them.
0: I close every episode of this podcast with something called the set pieces. So these are six questions that I ask everybody. So if you'll indulge me. Um, The first one, what do you consume in terms of podcasts? Are you a podcast listener or any newsletters that you kind of are keeping up with that, that help you with your work? And I think specifically to the B, because some of the academic journals probably won't land well with my audience.
1: <laughs> so I do not listen to podcasts. Um, I read The Economist and The Week, and I like Eon Magazine online. I get a lot of interesting stuff from that. There's also a thing called JSTOR, which is a bunch of academic journals, but they have JSTOR's daily stuff. And it's just kind of a little academic thing, and it's accessible. um, So you don't have to be a physicist or a linguist. Um, So I like those. Social media.
0: Are you on social media? Is there anybody you particularly want to follow, or is that not a space you've entered into?
1: I know virtually nothing about social media. I do have a cell phone. It is rarely charged, and you can never reach me on it because I rarely have it. Um, I have a computer, of course, but I do nothing on any of the social media platforms. Once in a while, I'll contact a friend via one of them because they're doing that.
0: Let's talk about books then. What are some books, a couple of books that you'd recommend for someone to pick
1: up and read? Oh, goodness. Um, I like science fiction, and I've enjoyed reading Anne Leckie's books um, just because they're very imaginative and a lot of fun. Um, During the school year, I don't read many books aside from what i'm teaching because i don't have that much time i think everybody should learn about stoicism stoicism i think is really interesting whether you want to be a stoic or not it will change your life because it makes you think about things in different ways and i'm an academic so you know i've read academic books on it um but you don't have to be an academic honestly here's what i think is the most miraculous thing that has hit our cultural world in the past 20 years. Wikipedia. I am flabbergasted by Wikipedia. It is constantly improving. I'm learning Sanskrit now. I can use it as a Sanskrit dictionary. I'm learning old Norse now. I can use it as an old Norse dictionary. That's the Wiktionary part of it, which I associate with Wikipedia. It's it's an encyclopedia like the world has never seen, because you can look up companies on it. You can look up, uh, hardware store things on it. And you can also look up everything that Encyclopedia Britannica used to have, or still has all the cultural stuff that encyclopedias traditionally had, plus everything else. You can look me up on it. It (laughs) it is absolutely fantastic. I, I give money to Wikipedia and I think it's, it's one of the best developments of the past 20 years.
0: Is there a particular stoicism book that you'd recommend?
1: Uh, I think that people relate well to Marcus Aurelius's meditations. Um, but I think Epictetus is probably better because it's a little bit more connected. The problem with Stoicism is the great geniuses of Stoicism have been entirely lost. Chrysippus and Cleanthes and Zeno, we, do, we have virtually none of their writings. All we have is sort of the the ruins of a system. Um, So for my money, uh, I like Lawrence Becker's book, A New Stoicism. He's trying to revive it. I like Tad Brennan's The Stoic Life, which is an academic book about Stoic philosophy. Um, those Those are great entranceways into it. I am not really a Stoic. It's just that it has really helped me think about things when I need to think about them.
0: This is a bit of a left turn from talking about stoicism, but I do ask this to everybody. Are there any TV shows that you're streaming?
1: Uh, So we are currently doing probably our sixth run through as a family of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My son and I have recently watched Never Have I Ever, which we've enjoyed tremendously. My daughter, and can't watch it it's very funny um, let's see my son has introduced me to some animes that are that are great fun. I introduced him to one Punch man long ago and he took off with that he loves one Punch man um, and he knows so much more about it than I do but he has introduced me to this is the, there's a there's a volleyball team anime that he just loves I think it's called Haikyuu. Um He's been uh, watching that with me. We're re-watching it Um what other things those are the current ones. Do
0: you have a favorite sports memory from when you were a kid?
1: I have a chip on my shoulder about sports. I was never good at sports, and uh I found uh p e was anything but education it was uh bullying time. And it still is. Uh, Nothing has changed. I think it's a crying shame. I wish that we could be more fit as a nation. But instead, we seem to like just sitting and watching. Um, I, I have nothing against sports or fitness. I love fitness. I think team sports are great. I just think that our values have turned it up about three notches too much.
0: My last question, do you, I know you get credentials working the bee, do you keep those or do you keep any sort of memento from the bees or any other the events that you do?
1: So I recently had the most wonderful thing happen. So years ago I got a trophy for the spelling bee and it was a trophy that you could go down to a trophy shop and buy and it proceeded to fall apart. It was soldered together and so Recently, Rookwood Pottery designed a new trophy for the spelling bee. It's a beautiful thing. And I was talking to the people, the Scripps family is involved with Rookwood Pottery, and I was saying, you know, it's it's so wonderful that you've done this cuz that trophy is really amazing and it's unique and beautiful. And my trophy, I think I have it in the basement, but it's in parts, you know. And they sent me a new trophy. So that's my biggest memento. I have lots of, you know, name tags and, you know, lanyards and and, uh, passes, but I don't keep them anywhere in any organized way. They're just, there's a bunch of them hanging in the basement. There's a bunch of them in a closet over here, you know.
0: Dr. Bailey, I really appreciate this. I enjoyed the conversation and uh, I hope you did as well. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about the Scripps National Spelling Bee with me. Sure, thank you, Peter. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Bailey. I definitely learned a lot from our time together and can certainly see that spelling can absolutely be a gateway skill. Many thanks to Dr. Bailey for his time with us on Credentials Only and to you for listening. A reminder that show notes are available on credentialsonly.com. And while you are there, sign up for our mailing list to get notified when a new episode is released. Also, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Credentials Only is a Holter Media production. Special thanks to Mike Duchesne for serving as our editor.